Production funding for Ruckus has been provided by gifts from Dave and Jamie Cummings, the Fred and Lou Hartwig family, Peter and Barbara Gattermeyer, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize, and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees. And by viewers like you. Thank you. Welcome to Ruckus, our weekly food for thought fight over the news of the day and the trends of the times. I'm Mike Shannon. The Ruckettes join me shortly in our topics this week. Kansas revenues increase, and so does concern. Concerned tenants want a bill of rights, and concerned Democrats wonder if the Bloomberg is off the rose, plus roast and toast. But we start with our newsmaker segment and welcome another of the Republican candidates in the race for the U.S. House from the 3rd District of Kansas, essentially Johnson and Wyandotte counties. Adrian Vallejo Foster is a former state and federal government official and served one term as mayor of Roland Park. She's a native of the district and the daughter of immigrants, legal immigrants, as she likes to note. Adrian Vallejo Foster, welcome to Ruckus. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Mike. I appreciate you having me on today. Well, let me start with this. What is your catalyst for running for the 3rd District congressional seat? What makes you interested in this campaign? Well, I'm very interested because um, our country is going in the wrong direction. Um, first of all, Sharice Davids, our current representative, she does not reflect Kansas values of family, faith, and freedom. Those three values is what our country was founded on. And we, she, she uh, votes with AOC 93% of the time. And AOC is not who the 3rd Congressional District represents. You're running as a Republican, and, uh, you know, it's really difficult to know what someone believes because someone says he or she is a Republican. So can you be more specific? What are some of the positions you believe in as a Republican? Well, first of all, I'm a conservative Republican. I'm pro-life. I'm pro-Second Amendment. I believe in uh, less government in our lives. Um, I believe that the federal government should have uh, very little control over our education system. Local control is what we need. And um, I just think that they should um, not be in our lives as much. We know there are Republicans who are not particularly fans of the president, of Donald Trump. They say he's not really a Republican, not really a conservative. Where are you on Donald Trump? Are you a Trump supporter, or a never-Trumper, a sometimes-Trumper? <laughs> how would you describe yourself? Well, I support our president, um, unquestionably. Now, um, his style, his leadership style, is not the style that I have. He's big into Twitter, and um, I'm just learning how to, to tweet. And I get my children get after me, my college uh, kids uh, get after me because I say twit instead of tweet. And so, you know... Whatever it is, I don't know how to do it yet. <laughs> uh, how about a quick critique of the person you'll be running against, assuming you get the nomination? You, you talked a little bit about Sharice Davids. Uh, fill that out for us. What's your critique of her? Well, I would say that um, Sharice had no experience coming in um, and being elected. As a former mayor and as a former city councilwoman, as um, a former executive director for the state of Kansas, and also an appointee in the Trump administration, working on uh, programs such as USMCA, uh, working with our, uh, our tariffs, finding out how our small businesses are affected by them, um, conveying that information back to Washington, D.C., and being a spokesperson for our small businesses. Sharice um, just started learning about our small businesses, and um, 
unfortunately, uh, we have her today. If you watch the news, listen to the news, read the news, you know there's a lot of talk about Republicans losing the suburbs. College-educated voters who live in the suburbs, especially women, are not voting for Republicans any longer. And we have a couple of recent elections that would suggest that's true. Do you find that to be the case? You're a suburban woman. You're well-educated. You have a master's degree. Uh, do you find educated suburbanites who hate Republicans? You know, I think that oftentimes the, the suburban mothers and soccer moms um, haven't been directed, directly spoken to. Um, I think that they have um, oftentimes in the past, no one's really going and reaching out to them. And I've been able to sit down with them, talk with them. I'm a soccer mom. Uh, four out of my five boys played soccer. And um, talking with them to say, listen, um, I'm Republican. Uh, you may have not known that, but um, I re represent values like you have, and we need you back in, and I need your support. You think they are still persuadable? Yes. With me, yes. There are two other women running for the position uh, without going into great detail because we're almost out of time. Uh, how would you distinguish between and among them? What, what's the difference? Well, the difference between them and, and myself is I have the most experience. I'm the only one that's been elected um, to government. I've been appointed through the state and the federal government. Um, I've worked with over 500 small businesses, listening to them, taking their issues back to Washington, D.C., and um, also at the state level. Great to meet you. Thank you very much for coming in. Good luck in the campaign. Come back and see us. Thank you so much, Mike. That is Kansas 3rd District Congressional Candidate, Adrian Vallejo Foster. Now let's meet the panel and start a ruckus. Annie Presley is an author, publisher, and GOP fundraiser. Attorney Jim Heater is a former councilman and senior executive at the Chamber of Commerce. Mary O'Halloran is a media and communications consultant. And attorney Steve Marakian is with the firm of Warsh, Hobbs & Marakian. Steve's new book is out soon. It's about what a jungle foreign policy is. It's called Me Tarzan, Ukraine. <laughs> Welcome to all of you. It's good to see you back again. How soon will that be coming out, Steve? A couple of weeks? Let's get started in Kansas. Here is an interesting item from the Wichita newspaper. Kansas lawmakers will head into 2020 with more revenue, that is to say more money than previously expected. But the state is still spending more than it takes in. Apparently, agencies that were cut back in recent years are seeking and getting more funding. While K-12 schools got about whatever they wanted, colleges and universities did not and now want more resources. Meantime, Republicans seeing more money in the state coffers are talking about giving some of it back in new tax cuts. The 2020 legislative session is not far away. It convenes in January. So, should we be anticipating tax cuts, tax hikes, or just more bickering as usual? And we'll start with Steve. Well, there's two or three immutable principles here at work. One is that the economy, the, the, there's more money in the, in the coffers because the economy uh, is doing very, very well thanks to our president. The second thing is there are not going to be tax cuts because they never cut taxes. Once they put them in place, they're always there and they go up. And third, if they want to get control and benefit by this surplus, supposedly, uh, they should rein in spending in areas where it can certainly be reined in. One thing they should do absolutely 
is reduce the uh, tax rate on food. Kansas has one of the highest tax rates on food in the country, and quite frankly, that's a horribly regressive tax, hurts the poor people more than anybody else. Sales tax also hurt, hurt the poor because, uh, because it's on every item you buy, and that could be reduced. So sales tax and food tax could be reduced. They should be reduced. They would help a lot of the middle and income and poor people in our, in our economy, um, but they're not going to do it. And, and they're going to keep fighting and bickering and getting mm -hmm. nowhere. Mary, it seems that Steve is suggesting things are better in <laughs> Kansas because of the national environment. Would you agree with that, or do you think it was the tax hikes oh, well, that made the, the difference? The national economy, the fact that there's a sort of a labor shortage in Kansas right now is 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 good. So a little more people working, and uh, I don't, you know, the national economy is doing fairly well. But tariffs are having pretty bad effect on on agriculture. But why Kansas. is Kansas doing so well? Oh, well, number one, because they they went back to, to so normal. So it's a tax increase, yeah, not the, the, the national economy. Back, you're wrong, Steve. The state does sometimes cut taxes. They cut taxes. I knew if I tried, I could get her to say you're wrong. <laughs> well, you are, that's a, you are that's so understood. wrong. The key, the key to this situation they're in was the tax cuts of Brownback were so severe that they, ha they moved to the center. The people of Kansas said we're going to be moderate again, and Governor Kelly said, that's me. And she has done, I think, a really splendid job of working with both sides. And it's not bickering. As a former legislator, I don't like the word bicker. This is normal. Colloquy. This is how it's supposed to be. It was be. a colloquy oh. between she two will expand. She'll work to expand Jim, uh, Medicare, Medicaid, though. I was I about think. to ask you, Jim, and she just referred to it. What do you think is going to happen legislatively in 2020 in Kansas? What are some of the key issues likely to be? I think there'll be some, I think you'll see a lot of attention paid to Medicaid expansion. I think you'll see a lot of attention paid also also to tax revenue and potential tax cuts. I think tax cuts in Kansas right now because there's what may be a temporary surplus uh, is bad public policy. I know that some legislators who are running for re-election would like to run on the basis of I cut your taxes or I tried to cut your taxes, but I think it's bad public policy. Uh, the Kansas state of Kansas is still digging out from the financial hole it found itself in after the disastrous uh, Sam Brownback tax Well, cuts. if that's true, why is there a surplus of money? Uh, mainly because of the tax increase, uh, as Mary pointed out, really restored Kansas to a revenue, revenue normalcy. And I think that's made a huge difference. But I also think that, uh, that time will tell, and what's a surplus today may be a deficit tomorrow. And you always, if you're a state government, you always have to be ready for a major downturn. If you want to go back to Steve's mm -hmm. point about the national economy, you can have a major downturn at any time, and the states have to be prepared for so that. So despite the income tax hikes and the positive forecast, you're saying things could change. Things could change, without question. We, we've seen forecasts from the states <laughs> absolutely and from the correct. federal government that turn out to be totally inaccurate. So it's absolutely correct. So how effective do you think, uh, Annie, has Governor Kelly been since she took office? Actually, she has been reaching out, and I think that's impressive. She's also been real clear on what she's after, and that's Medicare expansion. I think the bigger problem she has... Medicaid. Medicaid, I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me. I, I think the bigger problem <laughs> she has job. is um, <laughs> people are moving away from Kansas. They're moving out of the state. And that is the single biggest problem when you're trying to generate tax revenue. Um, so they need to watch their population and make the state more um, attractive to people to come and for people to stay. Well, since the recovery has apparently been so good in Kansas, Steve, does that suggest that things really weren't as bad as we were told? No, I think, thing, I think and I disagree slightly with what was said with regard to 
the reason why we have uh, surplus now. It is, it is true in my reason, uh, belief that one of the reasons we have the surplus now is because the economy has been so good in terms of, of, of employment in Kansas. We have a lot more people working and that's bringing money in. The problem with the Brownback tax cuts, in my view, they were, they were too steep and they were too severe, but the problem was they came at a really bad time because the economy was so bad under President Obama. And the oil business. The oil business was picked up. If I may continue, the oil business since President Trump came in has gone up dramatically. So we've seen those those two things which substantially benefited us. A real problem would be, however, because Obamacare has been both unaffordable and unavailable. We need to expand Medicaid, but we can't expand it too rapidly because the federal government continues to pull the plug and cause the states to bear the burden. And we can't expand this topic any longer because we are out of time. There is no shortage of issues for the recently elected Kansas City, Missouri mayor and city council. During the election cycle, we heard a lot about affordable housing, or more precisely, the lack thereof. Now the extension of that battle seems to be calls for a tenant's bill of rights. The measure would establish standards for rental properties and make sure tenants have free legal counsel when disputes arise. It does seem likely the council will approve a tenant's bill of rights of some sort, and then more questions are front and center, such as, will it work? What about landlords' rights? What about cost? What about your reaction to all of this, Jim? A, a couple of thoughts. Uh, first of all, if I were still a member of the city council, I would find this, uh, th this a very intriguing issue. You know, almost half of all um, persons in Kansas City rent property as opposed to owning their, owning their own home. So this is a really serious issue when you talk about uh, affordable housing in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, and they have to strike the right balance here. I think that a tenant's bill of rights does make sense because I think a lot of people are victimized by, by landlords to make, make no mistake, there are a lot of great landlords in Kansas City, Missouri, as there are elsewhere, who are doing the right thing every single day. But there are some who take advantage of people, and these are very vulnerable people uh, who are not positioned to, to, to resist. And uh, the Tennis Bill of Rights makes a lot of sense in Kansas City, Missouri. Let's put something on the screen so everybody can watch this while I read some of the things that the KC tenants are proposing. Proposes barring discrimination against tenants on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, disability, marital status, familial status, sexual orientation, gender expression, gender identity, being a victim of domestic violence, sexual assault or stalking, source of income, conviction or arrest history, and rental history. Is there anything, Steve, now that a landlord can refuse someone the right to rent? There are things uh, that, that exist like. right now, and, and, and the fact of the matter is that list, for example, would cause, in my view, very substantial uh, problems, not only for landlords, but for tenants, because we have to keep in mind, the fewer landlords there are, the more money the tenants wind up paying for those who are out there. And when you begin to put things in there, saying, for example, that a landlord cannot refuse housing to someone because of their prior rental history, that's nonsense. That's one of the primary things any good landlord would look at. Now, things like you can't refuse it because of race or sex or religion or sexual orientation or marital status, I understand those kinds of things are, are, should be no problem. But, but the, list, the list is way too broad, and, and you have the problem, as Jim said, you have to strike a very fine balance here. Tenants need to have rights. They already do have some rights. Landlords have more rights right now, but if you, if you tilt the scale too much, you're going to have problems like you have in San Francisco. Mary, am I correct in recalling that you were a landlord at one time? <laughs> and she rented properties. I, uh, the, the, 
here's the thing. Am I, I mean, right in recalling yeah, that? Well, oh, yes. Okay. Uh, your, your recollection is accurate. Um, I, I think we all have a Bill of Rights, and I'm not really excited ever about carving out, you know, which is the next group to have a Bill of Rights. And it's a little, it's a little too vague, a little too broad, but generally speaking, the people who made this possible are the people who really do have a hard time finding a place to live. And that I, would, I would applaud the local media here in town. The television reporters have really done a good job of, of illustrating for the citizens of Kansas City how awful some of, these, some of these apartments are. They're just not kept up, and they can't get Channel 9 help. has done a really good they job. They really have. And I, but I, I, I'll tell you, I think it needs some fixing. It needs to be a little more specific. We don't want vague bills of rights. But generally speaking, I'd vote for it. Yeah. Uh, all right, Annie, I'm going to read you something from Tony's Kansas City. Oh, from my Tony favorite. himself. <laughs> and I think it's a good point. He says, moreover, the real risk here is that many home providers might shut down and move elsewhere. If this market becomes too hostile with overregulation, like it or not, the landlords deserve consideration in this discussion. I Good do. point, isn't it? I, too, have been a landlord yeah. and I'm currently a landlord on some rental properties. And it's not to say that landlords are particularly bad or renters are particularly bad, but if you have some combination thereof, it doesn't work, no matter what. But the basic problem in Kansas City is there are 13,000 families right now who need safe, affordable clean housing. And affordable in Kansas City means $500 a month in rent, including utilities. Mm -hmm. And this almost does not exist. So there has and to be a careful adjustment of rights. Annie, when this don't is you think the eviction rates are way too high? I don't also? know about the eviction rates, but what I do know is any more money that's spent trying to fix what's going on actually needs to be used to incent developers to build new housing on all these lots that need assistance. Now we evict this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Just when we thought the number of Democrats running for the presidential nomination was decreasing, there is word of yet another entry into the field, actually two. This one is no stranger to Democratic politics. Billionaire media mogul Michael Bloomberg is a former mayor of New York City, known for his dislike of guns and large soft drinks. <laughs> Political analysts suggest Bloomberg is a moderate, concerned that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are too far left to defeat President Trump. And Bloomberg is also said to be troubled by Joe Biden's fundraising problems and unsteady debate performances. So is the former mayor of New York a fresh new addition to the race or is the Bloomberg off the rose? We'll start with Annie and then go to Mary. Well, Bloomberg's an interesting guy. When I lived in New York, he was the mayor, and he wrote... He was a pretty good mayor, wasn't he? He was a very good mayor, although he was a little picayune. He did like to get into the details and tell you how to run your life. Quite different from our current president. And I think Mayor Bloomberg believes that he can actually beat Trump in the uh, general, but he's not very clear about how his path looks in the primary. So I don't know that he brings anything new to the table, except he's just a different face to and He's not going to run in the first four primaries. <laughs> well, which is very interesting, because oftentimes it sets the tone for the whole... All right, Mary, world. it's all yours. Oh, well, th I, I wish it was all mine. <laughs> yes. How many billion does he have? Fifty-five and a half. Fifty-five billion. That ought to do it. Uh, you know, 
know, the Democratic Party, Mac, really is democratic. I mean, we welcome anybody. Deval Patrick got, got in the in, race yeah. today, former governor of uh, Massachusetts. Massachusetts, a very interesting fellow. So we, anybody's welcome. We just put another microphone on the debate stage. <laughs> I've always been intrigued, but I, I always have admired his skill when he was mayor. Uh, he, but he did some a couple disastrous things. One was his policy of stop and frisk, and oh yeah, uh, for and it ended up just be being a horrible uh, deterioration of the. Relationship but it did hold crime down, did it not? Well, there, there's nothing that shows that. No, there's no no. no. I thought the statistics did indicate that. That was the idea. We're going to just be it. It uh, freedom of association was was really in in. Uh, a trouble with him as mayor, but he's, he was fairly successful. Well, let me ask you this. Does he have a realistic chance of being the no. Democratic nominee? No, and I, I think, well, what are you going to add? Well, you better, uh, you know, mix in the... We already have a billionaire or two, don't we? Steyer, and there, isn't there another one? Trump. Um, Perhaps. But, you know, it is a little unfair to jump in in the end after the others have been out there beating the Was well, it unfair for Deval Patrick to jump in? <laughs> well, I think that Elizabeth Warren is saying, come on in, come on, please <laughs> join the crowd because he he will take some votes away What about from Joe Biden. Biden these days, uh, Steve? Does he really have no chance to be the nominee? No, I think he has a good chance to be the nominee, uh, quite frankly. Uh, I think he's a, a very poor candidate, and I think he, he's doing, he doing a very poor job uh, running and raising money and so forth. But the, the reality is, in my view, uh, and I think a lot of Democrats' views, he's the only one who can beat Trump. I don't think he can beat Trump, but I think in, in, the, the, realistically, if he doesn't get the nomination, I don't think this, this is even going to be close. If he gets the nomination, I think it'll be very close. I just think Joe Biden is not the right guy at this time. I've never liked Joe Biden as a politician or as a, I mean, as a human being. He's fine. I've never liked his politics, basically. I don't like the way he approaches things. And, and I think that, that, quite frankly, there, there are a whole bunch of reasons not to vote for Joe Biden. But quite frankly, of all the Democratic candidates, in my view, he's the only one who has any chance of running an effective Jim, race. Jim, what do you think about Warren and Bernie? Do you think they're too far left for your party? Um, I, I'm not too far left to get the nomination. They might be too far left to win the general election, which is why I think Michael Bloomberg got into this race. You know, his entering this race gives me a, a chance to, to talk about something that's intrigued me for quite a while now, which I think I may have actually mentioned on Ruckus a few months ago, and that is what happens if after the first or second ballot in the Democratic convention there is no nominee. Yeah. It's entirely possible that you will have enough candidates with enough delegates, there will be no nominee after the first ballot. And after the first ballot, two really interesting things happen. One is that the people who voted in the first ballot are no longer pledged to vote for that candidate. And the second is the superdelegates get to vote. Mm -hmm. So it's a totally different dynamic in the second ballot. Now, if there's no nominee after the second ballot, then what happens? And there were a lot of people who thought, well, they might turn to an outsider like Michael Bloomberg. <laughs> so by getting into the race, he actually kind of qualifies himself as a, as a candidate. The well, person who sought the office. Now, Hillary Intrigued. Clinton says there are, I think, four minis. Many, 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 many people who are talking to her about considering it. Do you think there's a chance she could slip in? I, I think that is uh, that is remote. I think no, that's remote. remote. If she did, it might be on the same rationale I just described from Michael Bloomberg, but I think it's highly unlikely. If, if you could the make the choice for the Democrats, who would you pick out of this current field? Oh, I would pick someone, uh, for example, who polls about one or two percent. For example, I think Michael Michael Bennett, the senator from Colorado, Me is too. a terrific individual, a great senator, and I think he'd be a terrific president of the United States. I think it's highly unlikely. You take Andrew I Yang. I really like Michael Bennett. And 
And I like Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota. Oh, I gotta She's go. terrific. It is time now for Roast and Toast, where the Ruckheads have 30 <laughs> seconds each to opine, define, or whine. Up first is Mary. Well, today's uh, toast goes to uh, someone who was just a great woman and who figures in our history as we go into the 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 meat of the impeachment uh, effort in the in the House of Representatives, and that's the former ambassador to the Ukraine, Marie Yovanovitch. What a great public servant, and and the courage it has taken for her to come forward and tell her story is remarkable. She's my new hero in the national limelight. And I wish her well tomorrow on her uh, testimony before the Congress. That would be Friday for people watching That's on Sunday. True. All right, Jim. Uh, on the lighter side, on the sports side specifically, I'd like to toast the athletic departments at the University of Missouri, which happens to be one of my alma maters, and the <laughs> University of Kansas for uh, agreeing to resume the border war in basketball specifically. <laughs> They've agreed to play um, each year for the next six years, starting at Sprint Arena next year and ending at Sprint Arena six years. M-I-Z-Z-O-U. No doubt about where my loyalties lie, but it's great to see the border war rivalry renewed. I think it's only a matter of time before that extends to football, too. Great for both universities, great for both athletic programs, and great for the states of Missouri and Kansas and the city of Kansas City. And nobody Mr. would score in football. So that's fine. Uh, <laughs> this being Veterans Day week, or Veterans Week, I am toasting four veterans who risked everything to serve their country. My father and father-in-law both served in World War II. My father was awarded the Silver Star, two Bronze Stars for Valor. A Purple Heart was a prisoner of war who escaped twice. My brother was an Airborne Ranger Company commander in Vietnam and High Pocket Shannon also <laughs> fought the Kong in Vietnam. They all believed, as do I, that this country, while not perfect, is founded on the perfect idea that all people are created equal with the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, and that is an idea worth fighting for. Annie? I am toasting today the group who is redoing KCI. It cannot happen fast enough. This is Edgemore and all the trials and tribulations. Go for it. And finally, here's a toast to South Dakota Governor Republican Kristi Noem, who said this recently during an interview. We live in a world addicted to being offended. We're thinking of making that the preamble to the ruckus mission statement. <laughs> and that is ruckus for this week. We're back next Thursday at 7. Now for the ruckus and the crew, Mike Shannon saying thanks very much for watching and good night.